Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke, chapter number 18. And, of course, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke. We've been doing a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. We call it our journey with Jesus, and it's Luke is one of the most comprehensive Gospels regarding the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been studying the life of the Lord Jesus Christ together. And this morning we find ourselves in Luke, chapter number 18. And we're going to look at the first eight verses uh, this morning. And we're going to be looking at this uh, parable uh, often referred to as the parable of the unjust judge. And the parable of the unjust judge is a parable that is highly misunderstood. Um, it's one of these parables that uh, has a villain as the main uh, character. So oftentimes people are confused by that. And I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of just walk you through the parable, and then I'd like to give you three uh, three applications this morning, three different points regarding this parable, some things that we can learn from this parable. You notice there in verse 1, the Bible says this, and he spake a parable unto them. I want you to notice this little phrase. He says, to this end. He spake a parable unto them to this end. And what's interesting about this parable, and we'll see it again tonight as we look at the parable we'll deal with tonight, that uh, Jesus gives us the intent or the purpose of the parable right up front. And that's not always the case. Uh, oftentimes when Jesus does give us the explanation of a parable, he does it at the end of the parable. There are many parables that he just gives a parable and doesn't ever explain to us what he necessarily means by that parable. But with this parable and with the parable we'll look at tonight, uh, he gives us the intent right up front. He says there in verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So we can start right there with the understanding that the purpose of this parable is that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And I think that Jesus maybe gave this to us right up front because he knew that this would be a highly misunderstood parable, and he wanted to make sure that people understood what it was about right at the beginning, to this end. This is the purpose of the parable. Now notice the parable here in verse ten, uh, verse 2, excuse me. The Bible says, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. Later in the parable, he's referred to as an unjust judge. And uh, it's interesting to me, the Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. It's interesting to me that Jesus uh, would use an example of an unjust judge because uh, you know, just by my own experience, I think most judges are unjust. Uh, there is uh, the last thing you'll find in the justice system is justice, is what I've learned. But there are lots of uh, unjust judges, and he uses this unjust judge, uh, which is ironic. He says there is a city, there was in a city a judge. Notice how he describes him. He says, which feared not God, neither regarded man. I want you to notice that. The Bible tells us that he feared, God, feared not God, neither regarded man. And those two things go together. When you don't fear God, you will not regard man. And in fact, the Bible says that our view of God will have uh, an influence in our view of man. This is why Jesus said the two greatest commandments in the Bible are to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And it's just interesting, for those of you that come back tonight, we'll see this connection again in the parable tonight as we study it out together. But he said, He feared not God, neither regarded man. Verse 3, And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. So I want you to understand, here we have a judge who is an unjust judge. 
He fears not God, and he regards not man. And then we have a widow. A widow, as Jesus is telling the story, and as Jesus is giving this parable for the first century world, a widow uh, and a, a, an orphan, the fatherless, according to the Bible, would be the weakest, would be the helpless, would be the hopeless of the society. There would be no one in a more dry, uh, 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 dire state uh, financially and being able to defend themselves and protect themselves than a widow. A widow is one whose husband has died. And in this ancient culture, uh, your husband would have been your protector. Your husband would have been your provider. Your husband would have been your advocate. By the way, that's how it should be. That's what the Bible teaches. But oh, here, a woman without a widow, uh, without a husband, would have nobody to avenge her, would have nobody to stand up for her, would have nobody to protect her. So this widow goes, she is the most helpless and the most hopeless of the individuals in the society, and she goes to this unjust judge, and notice what she requests. She says, avenge me of mine adversary. There is someone that is doing her harm. There is an adversary, an enemy, and she needs to be avenged and protected. Notice verse 4, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge says. So I want you to notice, Jesus gives a short parable, and he tells us right up front, the purpose of the parable is that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then at the end of the parable, he tells us, hear what the unjust judge saith. What is it that the unjust judge said? He said, because this widow troubleth me. He says, lest by her continual coming. He said, I don't want to uh, uh, help her. I don't want to do this for her. He says, I fear not God, nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. Notice verse 7, and shall not God avenge his own elect? which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. Now, I want you to understand something in regards to this parable, and we've talked about this as we've studied other parables in the Gospel of Luke, and it is this, and this is where people often have a misunderstanding regarding this parable. This is a parable of, of contrast. Regarding the judge, this is a parable of contrast, not comparison. This is often where the misconception comes in. Because usually we look at a parable and it'll begin with something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like unto. And what Jesus does is he gives us a parable and he's comparing something earthly to something spiritual or something heavenly. And he's telling us, you know, like the story of the prodigal son, he's telling us the father is like our heavenly father. And we are like the prodigal when we go off and get backslidden. That is a parable of comparison. This parable is a parable regarding the judge of contrast. What Jesus is saying, that it, he's not saying that God the Father is like this unjust judge who does not answer our prayers and doesn't care about our needs. What he's saying is the opposite, that God is not like this unjust judge, that God cares very much about us and God cares 
very much about our needs. So there are several things that we can learn from this parable. Uh, specifically, of course, it's about prayer, regarding prayer. And I'd like to uh, highlight for, uh, these for you this morning as quickly as possible. If you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. And I'd like you to notice three thoughts regarding this parable. The first one is this, and you could write this down. The first lesson from this parable is this, that we must pray perpetually. We must pray perpetually. Notice there again in verse 1, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, here's, here's the purpose of the parable, that men ought always to pray. That men ought always to pray. And the idea is this, and by the way, when he says men there, I don't believe he's saying that only men should pray and not uh, ladies. The idea is that human beings, mankind, men ought always to to pray. And I'd like you to keep your place there in Luke chapter 18. That is our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you can find the T books, they're all clustered together. 1 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, and the New Testament, the books that begin with the letter T, are all clustered together. Find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you would, and look at verse number 17. The first lesson is this, that we must pray perpetually. Men ought always to pray. The Bible says that we should pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, notice there verse 17. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Very short verse, right to the point. Very straightforward. Pray without ceasing. The word ceasing or cease means to bring to an end or to come to an end. The truth is that you and I, the Bible teaches, should have an open line with God at all times. Amen. Our pray- you say, you know, when should my prayer end? Well, it should never end because we should, be, uh, we should pray without ceasing. Now, it's impossible for you to be praying for a 24-hour period, but the idea is this, that you and I should be in a constant state of uh, prayer, in a constant state of being able to just Speak to God at any time. Now, we've studied prayer uh, uh, very thoroughly here at our church. In fact, uh, maybe last year or the year before that, I did an entire series on the teachings of prayer from the Lord Jesus Christ. We called it the school of prayer. And we learned about a lot of different things regarding prayer. And one thing we know about prayer is this, that the Bible teaches that we should have a formal time of prayer. Jesus taught that we should go into the closet, into a closet to pray. So we know that there should be times in our lives where we have set, a time, set aside scheduled appointments to pray with God. Of course, we've seen Jesus through the Gospel of Luke get alone, uh, go up into the mountain alone and pray. So we know that there should be formal times of prayer. And I hope that you have a formal time of prayer. I hope you have times uh, uh, set aside in your schedule where you take time to pray and, and to spend time with the Lord. But along with that, let me just say this. Not only should we have a formal time of prayer, but we should live in this informal uh, just attitude of prayer, Amen. where we should be able to really, as Christians, we should be able to bow our heads at any moment, or if you're driving, don't bow your head and close your eyes, but be able to just speak to God at any moment and have this attitude of praying without ceasing. Uh, you're there in First Thessalonians five. Go to First Timothy chapter two if you were. First uh, Thessalonians, if you go past Second Thessalonians into First Timothy, First Timothy chapter two. Notice verse 8, notice what the Bible says here, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. I will therefore, this is the Apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He says, I will, this is my will, and he's speaking by the Holy Ghost, this is God's will, I will therefore that, notice, men pray everywhere. Men pray everywhere. 
lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now tonight, we're going to look at the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And tonight, we're going to learn that though we should pray everywhere, we should not make a show of our prayer. Prayer should not be something that we do in order to try to get people to see how spiritual we are and to see and for us to pretty much just show off and boast and brag uh, about how uh, right with God we are. We'll learn that tonight, but let me just say this. This morning, in this parable, we're seeing the opposite, and the idea is this, that you and I should be able to pray everywhere. And listen to me, in your Christian life, there should be nowhere where you are embarrassed to pray. It's often interesting to me to watch people that call themselves Christians and yet they're embarrassed to pray in a restaurant. You know, they'll pray for the meal. I hope you pray for your meal before you eat. You know, that's a practice of Christianity. The Bible says whether we eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. And we should, it is God that provides our daily bread and it is God who we should thank for our meal. But, you know, you get to restaurants and Christians are, you know, they'll, they pretend like they lost their, they dropped the silverware. Heavenly Father, thank you for food, amen. You know, it's like, hey, look, and I'm not saying you need to stand up like a Pharisee. We'll talk about it tonight, you know, in the restaurant and say, Heavenly Father, in front of these heathens. (laughs) But I'm here to tell you something, men. If you're embarrassed to bow your head and pray before you eat that sandwich in in the lunchroom, there's something wrong with your Christianity. There's something wrong with you. There's, some, there's, there's something, you're, you're not doing something right because the Bible says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. And this is usually the problem, lifting up holy hands. The problem's not that we're afraid to lift up our hands. The problem is that our hands aren't holy at the workplace. Our testimony's not right with our neighbors. Our testimony's not right with our extended family. So therefore, we're ashamed to pray. Hey, I'm just here to tell you, especially as we go into, uh, it's starting to get colder and we're going into the, the Thanksgiving season and the Christmas season. Don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray everywhere. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath. And doubting. So we learn from this parable that we should pray without ceasing. Men are always to pray is what Jesus taught. But I want you to notice, secondly, not only should we pray without ceasing, but the Bible teaches that we should pray about everything. You're there in, uh, in, 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 in 1 Timothy. Go with me to the book of Philippians, if you would. If you go backwards from 1 Timothy, you'll go past 2 Thessalonians, past 1 Thessalonians, past Colossians into Philippians. From going backwards from First uh, uh, Timothy, past Second Thessalonians, past First Thessalonians, Colossians, Philippians, Philippians chapter four. Do me a favor when you get there, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Philippians chapter four. Look at verse six. Not only should we pray without ceasing. You say, well, I don't know that I could do that. Live my life in a constant state of prayer. Pray all day and just have this attitude of prayer and and be speaking and communicating to God throughout the day? Well, let me help you with that. If you don't think that you can pray without ceasing, or if you're not praying without ceasing, it's probably because you're not praying about everything. If you learn to pray about everything, you'll find yourself praying without ceasing. Philippians 4, 6, notice what the Bible says. Philippians 4, 6, be careful. The word careful here, the idea of the word careful here is not necessarily how you and I would use it, Uh, today. The idea is to have a care or to carry a care or a burden. It means to be anxious about or concerned about or to be worried about. He says, be careful for nothing. 
Here's what he's saying. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be concerned or worried about anything. Be careful for nothing. And you say, well, you don't understand. We live in 2022 America. There's all sorts of things to be concerned about. The economy and inflation and, 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 and wars and all these things. You know, there's lots of things to be concerned about. And here's all I'm telling you. God says in Philippians, be careful for nothing. You say, well, how do I do that? Here's how you do it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You say, how do I pray without ceasing? Try this. Every time you're worried about something, every time you're concerned about something, every time you start feeling anxious about something, why don't you decide, I'm going to pray about that thing. I'm going to be careful for nothing. I'm going to be worried about nothing. I'm going to be anxious for nothing. But when I feel worried and I fear uh, fear and I feel uh, like I'm concerned about what's going on, I'm going to bring that by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I'm going to make my request known unto God. You know what you'll find? If you prayed every time you were worried about something, you'd pray without ceasing. You'd find yourself praying about everything. See, the idea of this parable is that men ought always to pray. That we must pray perpetually. Yes, we should have a formal time of prayer when we get alone with God on our knees and pray. But we should also have an attitude, a lifestyle of prayer. Where we're constantly praying and constantly have an attitude of prayer. And you say, how do I do that? You start praying about everything that worries you. You'll find yourself praying a lot. The truth is this, someone said this, oftentimes prayer becomes a last resort instead of a first resource. And let's just be honest. You know, this is why we don't like sermons on prayer. You know why we don't like sermons on prayer? Because the average Christian doesn't pray. People often tell me about the problems with prayer. Prayer doesn't work. The problems with Christian prayer is that Christians don't pray. I mean, isn't that true? You have to turn there. James 4.2 says this, you lost and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. He says, you fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. What's the problem with prayer? The main problem with prayer is that we don't pray. And then when we do pray, James says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your loss. The word amiss means inappropriately. The truth of the matter is this. We don't pray, and when we do pray, we pray inappropriate prayers. We pray that God gives us a million dollars or gives us a Ferrari or whatever. And he says, look, you have not because you ask not. And he says, when you do ask, you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your loves. And Jesus is telling us, look, I want you to understand that as Christians, we must perpetually pray. We must pray perpetually. We must pray without ceasing. We must pray about everything. We must realize that we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's willing to make intercession on our behalf. The great mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not care. Everything to God in prayer. The first thing we learn from this parable is that we must pray perpetually. Men ought always to pray. Keep your finger there in Philippians if you would. Go back to Luke chapter 18. I can notice the second 
thought from this parable. First, we saw that we must pray perpetually. Men ought always to pray. But I want you to notice, secondly, this morning, not only must we pray perpetually, but we must pray passionately. Notice the last part of verse number 1 there again, Luke 18 and verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray. That's perpetually. But then he says this, and not to faint. That's passionately. The word faint means to fail, to become weak, to get tired, to quit. The word faint is used throughout the Bible as this idea of being tired. In Isaiah 40, you don't have to go go there. In fact, I'd like you to go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4, if you kept your place in Philippians, right after Philippians, you have Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. While you go there, let me read to you from Isaiah 40, 31. The Bible says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here we have a verse where the Bible is telling us that God will renew our strength. And sometimes you are running and you get tired and you have to walk in the Christian life. And we understand that. But if you allow God to renew your strength, you will not be weary and you will not faint. The word faint means to get tired. If you remember the story of Gideon uh, in the book of Judges, the Bible says that they were pursuing the enemy after the great victory. It says faint yet pursuing. Meaning they were tired, but they were pursuing. And here, Jesus is teaching us that we must pray perpetually, but we must pray passionately. We must not faint. We must not get tired in our prayer life. Are there in Colossians 4, look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. Notice, notice the words here. Always laboring fervently, for you in prayers. You know, the other reason we don't pray is because it's hard work. Praying requires a lot of work. Here, I like how Paul describes it. He says, this Epaphras, this Epaphras was what we would call a prayer warrior. What to God, our church was filled with prayer warriors. People who knew how to pray, who knew how to live their lives in a state of prayer, who knew how to get a hold of God. Epaphras was one of you. Notice this Epaphras, he wasn't, he wasn't a minister, he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a spiritual leader. Hey, let me tell you something. Prayer is something that we should all do, and prayer is something that we can all do. Amen. Don't get this idea, oh, prayer is just, you know, what the pastor does, and that's what you pay the pastor to do. And I believe pastors should pray, but here the Bible tells us Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He was laboring fervently in prayer. He was a prayer warrior. Go to James, if you would. James, you're there in Colossians. You just go past for a second Thessalonians, past for a second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. James chapter 4, uh, excuse me, James chapter 5, past First, uh, second Thessalonians, first, second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, James chapter five. We must pray perpetually. We must pray passionately. In Colossians four twelve, we saw the phrase "always laboring fervently." The word "fervently" or "fervent" means passionately. Fervent means heated up with passion, with seal. In James 5.16, we're told about effectual prayer. I want you to notice it. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another 
that ye may be healed. Notice, notice these words. The effectual, let me just break this down for you. The word effectual means effective. It means to be successful in producing a desired or intended result. You say, ah, I pray and God doesn't answer my prayers. Well, we're going to talk about that here in a minute. That's actually the reason for the, the parable of the unjust judge. But let me tell you something. You can get to the point where you have effectual, effective, successful in producing the desired intended result. You can have effectual prayer. You say, my prayer isn't effectual. Well, let me ask you this. Is it fervent? Because here we're told the effectual, the effective, the successful, the prayer that produces the desired or intended result is fervent prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual prayer is fervent prayer. But I want you to notice, effectual prayer is not only fervent prayer, it's earnest prayer. Look at verse 17, James 5, 17. Elias, I like how God says this, because remember, what did we learn about Epaphras? Who is one of you? Anyone can pray. You say, but I can't preach. Okay, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But here's what I know about you, you can pray. You say, I can't go soul winning. And, And let me tell you something, soul winning is a command of God. We're all commanded to go soul winning. I understand that there may be some people who are physically unable, actually Uh, because of age or disability, unable to go soul winning. If that's the case, then let me say this to you. Maybe you can't physically walk down the street and knock on a door, but you can pray while others knock down the street. You you see, Pastor, what would you do on a Saturday morning if if you weren't able to go soul winning uh, and, and it was chronic, something you couldn't do? Then I would at least pray for the soul winners while they're soul winning. Because here's something everybody can do. It's pray. Elias, James 5, 17, was a man subject to like passions as we are. Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. I like how James feels the need to tell us, yes, Elijah was a great prophet, but he was a man like any other man. He was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was a normal man, a, a, a sinful man like any other man. But here was the difference between the great prophet Elijah and the rest of us. And he prayed. And he prayed, don't miss it, earnestly. He prayed earnestly. The word earnest means with sincere and intense conviction, seriously. With deep and sincere feelings, seriously. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Look at verse 18. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. See, we must pray passionately. We must not faint. You say, what does that look like? It looks like fervent prayer, and it looks like earnest prayer. It looks like prayer that is passionate in intensity, that is hot, that is zealous. It looks like prayer that is sincere and intense and conviction. And here's all I'm telling you. Most of us don't even pray, and when we do pray, it's cold and stale. These repeated prayers over and over. Thank you for this food. Amen. And the Bible says, look, Jesus says, he says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. He says, let it be fervent prayer. Let it be earnest prayer. You say, I don't know what that looks like, earnest prayer, fervent prayer. If you don't know what fervent prayer or earnest prayer looks like, stand next to a mother after a car accident while her baby is being hauled away in an ambulance. 
you'll hear some fervent and earnest prayer. Lord, save my baby. Help my baby. Don't let my baby die. That's earnest prayer. That's effective prayer. See, Elijah, when he prayed, he didn't just, Lord, thank you for this meal. Please let it stop, not, not rain for three, three years. Lord, please. Amen. No, it was earnest. It was fervent. It was passionate. It was zealous. And the truth of the matter is this. The average Christian just doesn't really ever learn to pray. We must pray perpetually. We must pray passionately, fervent, earnest. Listen, mother, father, maybe your child is not in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. But if you don't pray effectively, if you don't pray fervently, if you don't pray earnestly for your children and for your grandchildren, then who will? If you don't pray for your family, who will? If you don't pray for your friends and your neighbors, who will? Where's the man that'll take the time? Where's the woman that'll take the time? Like Epaphras, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Not that God would give me a raise. Not that God would give me a bonus. But that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. We spend so much time asking God to help the economy and make the stock market go up. How about praying that your children will serve God, that your children will uh, uh, be soul winners for the, for the people that your children will marry one day. Hey, I'm just saying, when's the last time you got excited about praying for somebody else? Amen. We must pray perpetually. We must pray passionately. I want you to notice thirdly this morning. Make your way back to... Luke chapter 18, if you would. This parable, we see that men ought always to pray. We must live our lives in a continual, constant attitude of prayer. Pray without ceasing and pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. And people have to be, you know, and I'm not, look, I'm not criticizing you if you've said this. But it's interesting, people often say, I don't know what to pray about. Really? You got like 200 people sitting in this auditorium you could pray for. Amen. Trust me, my wife and I know, it takes a while to pray for these 200 people. I mean, we give you a whole prayer sheet every Wednesday night that you could pray for. You have a pastor who has a target on his back that you could pray for. You have a pastor's wife who the devil is constantly trying to attack who you could pray for. You have a pastor's family. You've got staff here. You, I mean, if you, if you need things to pray about, I mean, let, let me get, print out the church calendar for you. We've got about 250 events in the 365 days we call a church here that you could pray for. We've got conferences you could pray for. We've got all sorts of ministries you could pray for. We've got over 200 prisoners that get letters, uh, transcribed sermons from us every month that you could pray for. I'm just telling you, don't give me this attitude, well, I just don't know what to pray for. You need something to pray for, we'll find something for you to pray for. The truth is, you're more passionate about YouTube than you are about prayer. The truth is, you're more interested in Facebook than you're interested in prayer. We must pray perpetually. We must pray passionately. I'd like you to notice thirdly, this morning, and this is where we'll spend most of our time. The third lesson is that we must pray persistently. He said, by her continual coming. Notice, notice there Luke 18. 
Remember, remember the, the thought in regards to parables? Comparison versus contrast. Let me give you a couple of, of thoughts, and you can write these down if you're taking notes. There is a lesson of comparison from the widow. There's a lesson of comparison for us from the widow. And the lesson is this. Like the widow, we should be persistent. See, the widow in this parable is meant to be a comparison or really a challenge for us. Like the widow, we should be persistent in our prayers. Look look at it, Luke 18, verse 3. And there was a widow. We talked about it. She was helpless. She was hopeless. The weakest of the people in this society. There was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, Avenge me of mine adversaries. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. Yet because... How did the widow get her prayer answered? Here's the answer. Because this widow troubleth me. This widow would not leave this judge alone. She was in his line every day. She was sending him postcards and text messages and emails. She was troubling this man and saying, you need to avenge me. No one else can do it. I know you're lazy, but you need to do it. And here's what the judge said. Because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith." Jesus says, I want you to hear what the unjust judge said. Now, the unjust judge was not a good judge, but what he said, there's some value in what he said. And what he said was this, that by her continual coming, because she troubleth me, I'm going to answer her request. And what Jesus is teaching us, what Jesus is teaching us, is that there's a lesson of comparison here from the widow. And the lesson of comparison from the widow is this, that like the widow, we should be persistent in our prayers. This is not the first time Jesus brings this up in the Gospel of Luke, and this is not the first time that Jesus brings this up by way of parable in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, go back to Luke chapter number 11, if you would, just real quickly. Luke chapter 11. We've already dealt with this in our study in Luke, but I'd like to just refresh your memory. If you remember, Luke chapter 11 is the great chapter on prayer. In verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Remember that there is no documentation in Scripture where the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them to preach. The disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them to uh, administrate. They they never asked Jesus to teach them to plant a church, although I think all those things are good things to teach people to do. But they did ask Jesus to teach them to pray. Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And of course, Jesus goes on and teaches them, verse 2, and he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he goes on. After he teaches the the pattern prayer, was commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, In verse 5, he gives them a parable. Notice it, Luke 11, verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loads. For a friend of mine is in in his journey is come to me. Notice, like the widow, and I have nothing to set before him. 
In this parable, you have a friend who goes to his friend because another friend showed up at midnight and he has nothing to feed him. He showed up at midnight and he has to feed him, he has to take care of him, but he doesn't have anything. So he goes to his friend asking for three loaves. Why? Because I have nothing to set before him. Why does Jesus give us a parable with a man who has a need to help someone else but does not have the resources to meet that need? I have nothing to set before him. Why does Jesus give us a parable of a widow who is the weakest, who is, the, who is helpless, who is hopeless? Why does he do that? I believe that Jesus is trying to uh, give us a thought and an idea. He's trying to put his finger on a certain thought, and the thought is this, that the reason that you and I do not pray like we should is because we simply do not understand our own inability. Because the truth is, when things go wrong, we're American Christians. We're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to work more hours, and I'm just going to do this. And we plan, and we have all these plans and these strategies. And listen to me, I'm not against that. I'm all for hard work. I'm all for doing everything you've got to do to get things uh, done. I'm all for that. But in the process of that, don't leave God out. We, yes, we should work like it all depends on us, but we should pray like it all depends on God. And here, Jesus highlights, you know why you don't pray? It's because you think you got it all figured out. You know why you don't pray? It's because you think you got it all put together. You know why you don't pray? Because you don't think you need me. He says, when you realize that you are like this widow who is helpless and hopeless, when you realize that you are like this friend and you can stand at the throne of grace and say, I have nothing, the realization of our inability... Jesus taught, should lead us to the practice of importunity. You say, what do you mean? Look at verse 7. And he from within shall answer and say, this is a friend who's being bothered by the friend making the request. He says, trouble me not. The friend doesn't want to hear it. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, Jesus says, Though he will not rise and give him. Notice how this is similar to the parable of the unjust judge. Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. Yet, he won't give him because he's his friend. Yet, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. So what does the word importunity mean? It means persistence. Especially to the point of annoyance. It's the same idea that the unjust judge said when he says, this widow troubleth me by her continual coming. I'm going to answer her prayer. See, what is the point of the parable? The point of the parable is this, that men are always to pray and not to faint. And and you say, well, I I don't pray like I should. Well, none of us do. But let me just say this. The real reason we don't pray The real reason we don't put God first, the real reason we skip church to work or skip Bible reading to do other things is because if we were honest with ourselves, we just don't believe in prayer. We just think that we can do it on our own. And even when we fail and fail and fail, 
We never come to the place where we stand before God and say, I have nothing. I can do nothing. I need you. See, the realization of our inability should lead us to the practice of importunity. A persistence. A perpetual. A passionate prayer. To the point of annoyance. Go back to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We said that we must pray perpetually, may not always to pray. We must pray passionately and not faint. We must pray persistently, a continual coming. That's the lesson from the widow. The lesson of comparison from the widow is this, that like the widow, we should be persistent. But let me just say this. And if you've been asleep the entire sermon and you're deciding to wake up at this point, uh, this is really, I would say, the crux of the entire sermon and parable and the reason that Jesus gave this is that there is a lesson of contrast from the unjust judge. I've talked through this parable many times. I've preached on prayer a lot. And over the last 12 plus years of ministry, I've actually taught through this parable a lot. And what I'm about to teach you right now, I have taught before. But I don't know that I've really understood it with the clarity that I understand it right now till this week, honestly, as I was studying for this sermon. There was a little phrase that I've seen before and I've preached on before, but I think for the first time it jumped out at me and I realized that this is the purpose of this parable. This is what Jesus is teaching us. Now, he already told us at the beginning He said that he gave a parable to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's the purpose. But here's why he says that. Here's why he feels the need to explain that. Because when he says, I want you to always pray and I want you to not faint. I don't want you to quit on prayer. I don't want you to give up on prayer. I don't want you to faint on prayer. He said, here's why. Let me tell you a story. And he tells us a confusing story about an unjust judge who refuses to answer a woman's prayer. And we think to ourselves, why is God telling us this? Is God trying to tell us that he is like the unjust judge who does not answer our prayers or does not care about our needs? Is that why my prayers do not get answered? And here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 18 in verse 7. He says, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night? Here's the phrase that just jumped out at me this week. I want you to notice it. In fact, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'd like you to underline this little phrase. He says, Though he bear long. Though he bear long with them. See, there's a lesson of contrast from the unjust judge. Before I explain to you the lesson of contrast, let me give you one comparison. God the Father is not like this unjust judge. But there is a similarity between God the Father and the unjust judge, which Jesus wants us to grapple with and he wants us to understand. And it is this, that sometimes God the Father, like the unjust judge, bears long in his answers of our prayers. The word bear long means to take a long time. And here's the truth. Isn't it true that sometimes we do pray? And sometimes we do pray passionately? And sometimes we do pray fervently and earnestly and effectually? 
And we come to God and we line up and they're not selfish prayers and we line up our prayers according to God's will and we pray in faith and we involve others and we ask and plead for God and He doesn't answer our prayer. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been there where I was convinced there was a situation and I was convinced that God's will was a certain outcome and an opportunity arose itself. For that to happen, and I prayed, I prayed earnestly, I prayed fervently, I believe I prayed effectually, I involved others in prayer, and of course I always, my wife and I share our prayer requests together and ask my wife to to pray, but I even involved others, and I I called pastor friends and asked them to pray. I didn't put it on the prayer sheet. I I don't put prayers on the prayer sheet. I appreciate all of you who put prayers on the prayer sheet, and I think you should. I I don't put prayers on the prayer sheet because I've learned if if I put a prayer on the prayer sheet, everybody thinks the world's coming to an end, you know. If, if, if my wife and I put anything on the prayer sheet, people are like, are you okay? You know, it's like, you know, pray for health. They're like, do you have cancer? You know, so it's just like, it's just better to avoid that. But I called pastor friends and I explained to them the situation and asked them, would you pray? Would you unite in prayer with us about this situation? And we prayed in faith, believing that God would answer and that God was going to do something and that God would move. And we prayed earnestly and effectually and praying for God's will and all of those things that God tells us to do in prayer. And he didn't answer. And he bore long and even now continues to bear long. And Jesus says, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? Then he says this in verse 8. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, here's what's interesting. He says, shall he find faith on the earth? This last verse, verse 8, seems a little random. The entire thing has been about prayer. He's been speaking about prayer, teaching us about prayer. We should pray perpetually. We should pray passionately. We should pray persistently. And then Jesus asks this question. He says, and when I come back, am I going to find faith on the earth? And here's what Jesus is telling us. Here's what Jesus is, is trying to help us understand. Is that prayer requires faith. And here's the lesson of contrast from the unjust judge. Though there is a comparison to the judge. The comparison to the judge is that sometimes God the Father, like the unjust judge, does not answer our prayers or does not answer our prayer for a long time. Sometimes God, like the unjust judge, will bear long. But here's the point of the lesson, the point of the parable, the lesson of contrast from the unjust judge is this, that unlike the judge, when God doesn't answer our prayer, it's not because he's unjust. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he doesn't care. And then Jesus says, shall I find faith on the earth? And here's what I want you to understand. Go with me if you would to 2 Corinthians. Just real quickly. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You're there in Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We must come to God in prayer by faith. The Bible says in James, the prayer of faith shall heal the sick, save the sick. I believe that we often misunderstand faith. We think faith is believing that God will. That's not faith. 
Faith is not believing that God will. You're not God and I'm not God. When you and I pray, we do not pray to change God's will. When we pray, we are commanded that we come to God in a spirit of prayer and we say, not my will, but thine be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So prayer is not, and see, when you have people who get upset with God and they quit on God because they had some big major prayer they're asking for and God didn't answer their prayer, they misunderstood this key fact, and it is this, that faith is not believing that God will because God doesn't have to do anything. Prayer is not believing that God will. Prayer is believing that God can. Prayer, I've showed you this oftentimes. I won't have you go there. But it's like the three Hebrew children being thrown into the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel when they said, hey, God can deliver. He's able to deliver us. We know that he can do it. But if he doesn't, they told Nebuchadnezzar, we still won't bow. Because prayer and faith is not believing that God will It's believing that God can. But there's another step to faith, and it is this. Well, are you there in 2 Corinthians 12? Look at verse 7. Here we have the great apostle Paul. One of the the greatest, if not the greatest, men in the Bible. Other than, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said about John that he was the greatest of men. Paul, who brought the gospel to the Gentile world, Paul, who is the reason, if you and I are saved this morning, is the reason because the person we have to thank, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Apostle Paul. Who performed miracles and healed other people. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations, because God had allowed Paul to write most of the New Testament, Because the abundance of the revealing of God's word to the Apostle Paul, Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure, lest I should get filled with pride because of the abundance of the revelation, the power and the strength in which God has used the Apostle Paul, he says, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to puffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He says, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And I believe he's referring to a physical ailment. I preached about this in the past. I'm not going to take the time to develop all of that. But he said, I was given this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to buffet me. He says, lest I should be exalted. He says, God was trying to keep me humble. And in verse 8, Paul says, for this thing. For what thing? For the thorn in the flesh. For the messenger of Satan. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He said, I came to God at three different times in my life and asked God, would you please take this thorn in the flesh? Would you please take this messenger of Satan to buffet me? And we know that for Paul, it was humiliating and it was, it was painful and it was uh, uh, de- debilitating. He said, I came to God three different times. And I don't believe that when Paul says that he came to three, I don't think it was three different prayers, Lord, please heal me. I think it was probably three different seasons of, 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 of prayer. Maybe he fasted and prayed. Maybe he asked other spiritual leaders, would you pray with me? Paul says, I don't want to put it on the prayer sheet because people will worry. <laughs> but will you pray with me? 
What do, you, what do you have in extended time of prayer and fasting and, and praying in faith and unite together and pray? What do you pray? He said, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Verse 9. And he, God, said unto me, Paul, no. He said, what's the answer to the prayer? The answer to the prayer was No. Will you remove this messenger of Satan to buffet me? This thorn in the flesh. And the response from God is this. Actually, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So the answer to your prayer is no. You say, what is the point of this parable that God gives us about the unjust judge? The point of the parable is this, that sometimes God, like the unjust judge, will bear long in answering our prayer. And he asks the question, will he find faith on the earth? Because here's what you and I need to do. If we're going to commit ourselves to this idea of prayer, we need to understand that we must pray in faith, believing that God can do what we're asking him to do, and that God knows best if he chooses not to. See, faith is not believing that God will. Faith is believing that God can. And faith is believing that if God chooses to wait, if God chooses to say no, if God bears long, faith is believing that God must know best. That God knows what I don't know. Faith is understanding that all things work together for good to them that love God. Faith is understanding what Job understood when he said, I don't understand what God is doing. I don't understand why God is doing this. I don't understand why he won't answer me and tell me what he's doing. But here's what I know. When I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. See, faith is believing that God can. And faith is believing that God knows what he's doing. So when the answer is no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Here's the response from Paul. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. The thing that he was praying for, when he realized that, no, God wants me to have this for whatever reason, God wants me to have this, and I have faith believing that God can, but God chooses not to, so God must know best. So I'm just going to go ahead and glory and my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So here's what Jesus is telling us. Go back to Luke chapter 18. Here's what Jesus is teaching us. You say, I don't understand. Is Jesus teaching? Is Jesus teaching that if he won't answer our prayer, we just got to trouble him and trouble him and trouble him by our continual coming, and then he'll eventually answer our prayer? Is that the lesson here? That's not the, that's not the lesson. I want you to understand that's not the lesson. Now, he does want you to come to him continually. He does want you to pray perpetually. He does want you to pray passionately. He does want you to pray without ceasing and pray about everything. But that is not the lesson to this parable. The lesson to this parable is this, Luke 18, verse 7. That though he bear long, though he doesn't answer our prayers, though we spend seasons of time and prayer and fasting, believing and uniting with other believers and asking them for very specific things, for certain things, though God bear long and prayer, we should always pray and not faint. That's the lesson. 
The lesson isn't keep bothering God until He answers your prayer. The lesson is keep praying even when God doesn't answer your prayer. Because when God doesn't answer your prayer, you must exercise faith. And faith is not believing that God will. Faith is believing that God can. And faith is believing that God knows best. When he chooses to not answer or to give us an answer, we don't want. So though God at times may be compared to this unjust judge, who bears long, the purpose of this parable is to tell us that he is not the unjust judge. And when he does bear long, it's not because he's selfish, it's not because he's lazy, and it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he knows something that you and I don't know. So like the Apostle Paul, let's rather glory in our infirmities that the power of God may rest upon us. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this parable. We thank you for the teaching. I know how disappointing it can be to pray for something and really believe that it's God's will and have it not come to pass. At that point, we've got to make a decision. Do we stop praying? Do we faint? because we believe God to be an unjust judge? Or do we continue in prayer and faint not because we have faith in knowing that both God can and God knows best? And if God chooses to say no, then my response to be, my response should be to glory in my infirmity that the power of God may rest upon me. Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn this And Lord, I pray you'd help us to pray. I pray you'd drive us to be prayer warriors. I pray, Lord, that you would burden my heart, that you would burden individuals' hearts here this morning to say, I want to be like that Epaphras and pray fervently, laboring always in prayer. I want to become a prayer warrior. I want to pray without ceasing and pray about everything, passionately, effectively, fervently. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of reminders. Uh, and first of all, don't forget, uh, the, the main thing is that